Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. My leadership style is to give people the space and platform where they can have courage, and I want to demonstrate that to them. And then there's a type of infectious energy, right? You see it. Every great leader, there's an infectious energy that not only makes you feel better, but also it's actually going to propel me too. To thrive in a rapidly evolving landscape, brands must move at an ever-increasing pace. I'm Matt Britton, founder and CEO of Suzy. Join me and key industry leaders as we dive deep into the shifting consumer trends within their industry, why it matters now, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Speed of Culture. Today, we're going to be speaking with executive business brand leader, Michael Shaw. Michael currently serves as the vice president of brand marketing with the Miami Dolphins, Hard Rock Stadium, and his properties, including the Miami Open and F1Crypto.com Miami Grand Prix. Michael's also an experienced keynote speaker, Ad Weekend Brand Week executive mentor, as well as Global Institute of Sport Advisory board member. Michael, so great to see you today here in Miami. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to Miami. Oh, thank you. Love it here. <laughs> Love it here a little bit more, maybe in February and March. Than... And most New Yorkers do. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good seeing the palm trees and, and being down here. I have to tell you, you know, I'm a huge sports fan. And there were many times growing up when I thought I wanted to be in the industry. I knew pretty early on it wouldn't be as a professional athlete. But just, as you know, there's lots of other roles in the sports industry. When did you know that you wanted to be in the world of sports in your career? Yeah, so I had that dream that many young folks do. Like, I want to do this as a professional. That yeah. dream. What sport? Primarily, I was played basketball and baseball. I was a point guard in basketball, played center field and pitched in baseball. Left-handed, so there's only a couple of positions you oh, can yeah. play in baseball. First base pitcher, you play outfield. And so one of the first reality moments for me was 14-year-old AAU National Championship Tournament. Quentin Richardson, there's a team from Chicago. Let's just say that they're starting five. All of them played, made it to the NBA. Wow. And, that, and I had, at 14 years old, had the realization that these guys are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 I think I've leveled out. And so... Reality like, meaning like, maybe I won't be a professional maybe athlete. Maybe I won't be right. a professional athlete, right? But I love the game so much. I had my opportunity to play kind of on a walk-on basis very early in my career. I went to Middle Tennessee State. Very brief cup of coffee to play. And then I realized I'm more interested in the sport the business of sport. I was interested in contracts. I was interested in media rights. I was interested in how the inner workings of the sport went. So I started to transition by the end of college, but certainly about 14 years old, I realized that maybe the NBA is not the thing, but there are certainly some opportunities to get in the business of sport. Yeah. And after you left college, I mean, you 
worked for five years at the preeminent place that anybody who wants to get in the sports industry would want to work at, which is ESPN. Yeah. So tell us about your experience of working at ESPN and, and what some of your key takeaways were from during your time there. I often tell people, those who have not been to Bristol. Did you live in uh, Bristol when I, you worked I there? did. Yeah. I was in a very small town right, right by Bristol called Southington. And you have to be from Connecticut to know where that is. But I would say that I often tell people, those who went to a college like University of Michigan in Ann Arbor or Tallahassee with Florida State or Gainesville, it is a college town, but everybody, that's not the college. It's that everybody who lives there works at ESPN. Right. So it's very much, the town is run by yeah, those collegiate who, atmosphere. It's very collegiate atmosphere, which for somebody coming out of college is a lot of fun, yeah. right? There's really competitive basketball leagues and there's a lot of great athletes that work there. So from a learning standpoint, I don't know if there was a better place for me to start because for a few reasons. One, understanding the business of sport, understanding how media rights, negotiations, understanding, most of all, corporate relationships. I would tell you that 90% of the people that I consider friends, I met them when I started ESPN. And so most of the contacts that I have that are in the industry, I met them in those. They've first, gone to different places. They've gone to different places. Yeah. They've gone, you know, they've gone to social media companies. They've gone to investment firms, but they kind of started there. And so it was really great training ground, but also relationship building and having an opportunity to really learn the industry. And I, and it was valuable years, I think were so important to the foundation of my career. Yeah. So what makes you decide to leave a place like ESPN, because some people obviously never leave. I know that living in Southington probably wasn't your dream, so maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> Certainly not as cool as Miami. But what made you decide to leave? There are opportunities, and it, this is one of those learning lessons. There are sometimes when you're in a large organization where sometimes you got to go somewhere else to yeah. grow. And so perhaps whether it's a compensation opportunity or whether it's just a, a larger title. And so there was an opportunity to grow a company called Silver Chalice run by Jerry Ronsdorf, who owns the, the White Sox. He's starting... He was building digital media platform companies. He was hiring individuals. And there was certainly a wave of ESPN was certainly starting to go digital. Yeah. So ESPN3 was in the works. It was called ESPN360 at the time. Mm -hmm. And so there was a real opportunity I saw to have a bigger role and certainly have another a bigger title and have some more responsibility to take a lot of what I learned. And quite frankly, an opportunity to advance a bit without some of the corporate structure that right. comes with the red right. tape at a huge, huge corporation. But I saw that as a great opportunity. And again, using those same relationships, the person that hired me also worked at ESPN. So that's where, right. you know, you start to see those relationships come into play. Right. And then from there, you went to Groupon. So I imagine you lived in Chicago for a little so bit. So I was not, my wife was not the biggest fan of it, but I was commuting between New York and Chicago throughout oh, wow. the week. And so I went from Connecticut just south to the city. And so my wife and I were living in Harlem and we did probably did for almost 10 years, completely from Connecticut to New York City. And I was commuting on Monday, leaving to go work in Chicago. That's not easy. And then I'd come back on a Thursday night. So it's almost like a traditional consultant, kind of like where you like leave on Monday, work through Thursday, and then I'm back home for the weekend. Uh and so what happened is I had an opportunity, a friend of mine named Brandon Gale, he's COO for the San Antonio Spurs. At the time, he was in the role as a head of sports at Groupon. He had an opportunity and he called and he basically asked, hey, there's, I'm leaving and there's an opportunity. Is it, are you, would you be interested in this role? This role is interesting because Groupon at the time, I would say Groupon was Amazon before Amazon, yeah. right? And so Groupon- A lot of people was, don't realize that. Yeah, and yeah. so Groupon at the time was still a rocket ship. And so they had created a live sports vertical where they were helping the industries of sport, live entertainment and theater 
and arts to help sell those last minute distress tickets so they don't go unsold. And then sure. Groupon had an audience that yeah, was untapped. Once, t- once tickets don't go sold again, that's it. That's exactly yeah. right. And so I had an opportunity there. So if you think about ESPN, it was really my introduction to sports, but learning the media business. And, and digital too. And digital, yeah. right? And then I moved and transferred that. And to Groupon was really about ticketing. Right. It was about ticketing and business development. So as I'm thinking about my career, ultimately one day thinking, oh, I think I want to be CEO or think I'll be a general manager. I just saw few opportunities to continue to add to the toolbox of skill sets to say, right. now there's an opportunity to learn about ticketing, learn about the revenue sharing, learn how teams divide up their revenue and where there can be some growth. And Groupon was a great opportunity to really build on the team side because I'm working directly with either the team presidents or the chief revenue officers. They're making the decisions about how to divvy up their tickets, what they're willing to relinquish to Groupon, and we can help them sell. So it was a great opportunity yeah, to learn that and, business. And you know, it strikes me that you are very intentional about your career decisions, which yeah. I think a lot of people might just chase the money and money's obviously always a part of it. But you know, you're know, you also trying to piece together different types of experience to kind of put together the, the piece of the puzzle that will be who you eventually wanna be. Yeah, And I think having these different experiences, meeting different people, understanding how these companies work, allow you to be diversified in your skill set. There's a few different approaches, right? I think we all know there's certain individuals, you've seen them, they've been lifers at companies. They've been at a company 10, 15, yeah. 20 years, and there's advancement there. And I think, God bless them, there's an opportunity and, and, and that's a path. Yeah, I didn't see that as my path. I thought my path would have to be diversity of skill set. I can't take credit. I got to give God credit because sometimes I was I landed places and I wasn't sure how I got there, but there was a really great opportunity for me to learn a different skill set. So it went from learning media to learning ticketing to business development to leading sales teams, and then ultimately getting to brand and brand development and leadership. Well, then you look back at your toolbox, you're like, well, I think I have a nice skill set here that can offer up to an organization a really inclusive leadership style that I can help a lot of people. Yeah. And you also have to be willing to bounce around. So you were in Connecticut. That's right. You went to Chicago and then you ended up in Miami. That's uh, right. Where where you still are today. That's right. Uh, But first working for the Miami Marlins. Yes. Which uh, I still look at as an expansion team, even though (laughs) they've been around for quite a long time. But I remember when they were sort of like a new school expansion team. What was your experience like working for the Miami Marlins and being being part of a, a major league baseball team. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. A lot of learning lessons, but a lot of incredible moments. One being, I had the opportunity. So I was hired. Derek Jeter had just... I was just, just about to ask you about that. So yeah, Jeter. so yeah. Derek had just purchased the team in October 2017. And so he was very new into ownership. He was the CEO. Mm-hmm. And it was really a great opportunity. So I got hired in May. So it was just months later after the beginning of 2018. And... The opportunity really was, it was his vision of what he thought the Marlins could be. It wasn't about what they were. We knew coming into, and I knew when I took my job, there was a full kind of rebuild that needed to happen. One, on the field. Yeah. That wasn't my job. they were very successful for a while, and then they kind of disbanded. That's right. Yeah. And one of the big challenges that I quickly discovered is that there was a lot of broken trust between the fan base and between the organization for whatever reasons. And so those reasons were that the teams had been broken up, and even the teams that were successful, then they Get broken up after they were successful. And so there was a lot of fractured trust in the community, a lot of fractured trust with the fan base. And it it seemed to be one of Derek's missions to really try to build trust, meaning, hey, if I say I'm going to do a thing, then we're going to do that thing, yeah. right? And so, you know, I think he certainly is a man of integrity. And so him kind of bringing me on as part of the leadership team, I saw an opportunity as a new vision. So it wasn't about what the Marlins were. I was really believing in kind of the vision of Derek and what they could be. And I think for almost five years, it really was an exciting opportunity to really help start to build something and really build trust with fan base. And the success wasn't 
evident immediately on the field. I think on the business side, there were some really, really huge wins and something we're really proud of. And how hard is that when you're gang success on the business side of things, but you, you're not the coach, you know, you can't control yeah. how the players perform on the field. Is it hard to feel like you're successful in working for a sports team when maybe the sports team itself isn't at the top of the standings? It can, it can be very frustrating, man. Yeah. Right. Like candidly. Because like, winning can, solves all, well, right? Well, you know, like I made the joke on my panel on Monday on stage is that marketing is a lot better when the team's winning. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. it just, it just works that yeah, way. Exactly. Right. And so you could have some of the best ideas and some of the greatest strategies, but if the on-field product is not up to par. There's always so much you can do. Somebody could get injured and it's a lot of, you know. That's exactly yeah, right. It's so. exactly right. Like, so. So one, there's a few lessons to learn from that. So one of them is, is one, we control the controllables. The controllables, we're not outplaying the game, right? So the win and loss, we won't make excuses. Whatever the team does, the team does. But what we should be doing is preparing for when the team is more successful, yeah. right? And so we won't use records as an excuse of why we can't do our job. We know what the challenges were. And so we, how do we work around them? What are the creative? And, and in some instances, Matt, it forces you to try to be more creative, right? Yeah, like you have sure. to be more creative, even more grassroots and think of like, what are the things that I can do from a game to game basis to get an extra 500, 1,000 fans in the seats? What are the things from a brand perspective that we can do to get people excited from a customer service perspective? And so I think what came out of it for me personally, professionally, was a renewed sense of, kind of rolling my sleeves up and figuring out how to strategize in very challenging circumstances, you know, even on the business side or on the on-field side. And I think when you look back, you say, well, wow, look what we learned and look what we accomplished and look what we can take to the next stop. For sure. Right. That we can integrate and really excited to look at our on-field product for the Miami Dolphins and say, wow, we got a lot to be excited yeah. about. And we'll get the Dolphins in a second. But yeah. my last question about the Marlins yeah. is, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that baseball is so big in Latin America and Latin America is such an influence here in Miami that there are a lot of fans who really look at that as their home team and have a different level of pride attached to it. There's and we no also question. see that happen with soccer, with Messi coming 100%. Yeah, here to Miami 100%. as well, right? I think it's a big opportunity. So for those who are familiar with the World Baseball Classic, it is the World Cup of Baseball. Yeah. Uh, and for the matches, the games that are hosted in Miami, they're completely sold out. And, and credit to the current Marlins organization of it's an atmosphere unlike anything you've seen in American and U.S. baseball. For sure. And so what we know is and what we knew then is that, to your point, the Latin American, LATAM audience, whether it be Cuban, Dominican, Venezuelan, it is an enormous opportunity, mainly because in what's different than, than call it the NBA and NFL, there are a lot of Hispanic players, yeah. right? And so when you have players who are already carrying the flag with pride and you already have players and families who are in the area, in South Florida, in Latin America, then you have something that's really special. And so there is some great opportunity for the Marlins. And we and I see opportunity because they, when they look at their team and they look at the makeup of the players, it represents who's in the community. And Absolutely. So, the, so there's a great opportunity for them. That's yeah, exactly right. For sure. Yeah. So I want to jump to your current role. We're, yeah. we're in the heart of football season and it's a great time to be a Miami Dolphins fan. Yes, um, it you're is. currently at uh, Vice President of Brand Marketing at the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium. Hard Rock Stadium is when I went there, I went there a couple of years ago. What did you go for? for I went to see the, the Miami Dolphins beat my beloved Eagles, even though the <laughs> Eagles are better. It was a game when the Dolphins had that incredible fake oh, it was field a fake goal when oh, they yeah, had yeah. the crazy formation. Sure, sure. But I didn't expect the stadium to be so cool. I yeah. just, I don't know. I'd been to football stadiums in Miami in the past and I just, it wasn't as modern and had like a lifestyle feel to it. And yeah. I loved it. And I can't wait to go back there. So for those of you who haven't been to Hard Rock Stadium, definitely go. But talk about your role at, 
you know, at the Miami Dolphins and Harvard Stadium, what are you focused on and what do you hope to achieve in your role, which you're still fairly early in? Yeah, I am. So hit on your first point about experience. Give credit to our vice chairman and CEO, Tom Garfinkel. One of the things that he challenges his leadership team and everyone in the organization, it's like, how do we think like the customer? Yeah. Like it's obviously seems very simple, but often forgotten, overlooked, is that when you're creating new brand ideas, new strategies, new visuals, new creative, when you're creating new experiences, are you thinking about what's convenient for you as the employee? Or are you thinking about what what would actually make someone who spent their hard-earned money, what make what would yeah, make something be, memorable for them? Consumer-centric. Right? Very, very consumer-focused. And so when we think about the role that I have now, first of all, if we talk about dolphins, we are very grateful for. For the first time, we're not selling season tickets because we're all sold out, which is fantastic, right? And so what does that mean? Well, it means we have more bandwidth, more resources to focus on brand building, actually, right? Where we're not chasing necessarily revenue in a performance marketing You're working way. You're what's important versus urgent, like yeah, we have to sell tickets exactly next to right. these games. That's yeah. exactly right. And so the fun in that is that really step back and look and say, well, how do we want, one, our organization to be portrayed? How do we want it to show up across platforms, whether we're talking about social or out of home, what are the things we want to say and who are we as a brand? And so I think we have a really firm idea of who we are, how we show up and what we look like in the community. And now it's a really fun opportunity to like embrace the success of the team. And as we look forward, we're saying, let's make sure we're showing up on all platforms consistently. So one of the things that you'll notice if you're riding around in Miami, so right now you'll see a Dolphins win. So if you see a billboard, you're going to see something on our social channels and it's going to match what's actually on the billboard because we're, we're actually trying to create kind of an all-in-one experience where it's like Dolphins win on Sunday and then Monday morning, you're going to see on your way to work the score. You're going to uh, see super a, cool. A, a cool image that's going to mirror something that's on social media, right? And so we're trying to take the time now to really get people really excited because what we are trying to do, much like your Eagles, we want to get to the Super Bowl. We yeah. want to have some success, some sustained success, yeah. right? And so top priority as the Dolphins and leading the Dolphins brand is really how do we create more brand? How do we find that younger audience? How do we create the type of experiences, music, entertainment that they want to engage with us in, whether it be at the game or whether it be on our digital platforms? And then we have the other vert business verticals, which could be the Miami Grand Prix and Miami Open, which in themselves are their own huge businesses, which we spend a lot of time and spend a lot of time focusing on strategy. Yeah, so we had the head of Allegiant Airlines who yep. runs the stadium in Vegas. Yes. And Miami and Las Vegas have a lot of similarities in that they're places where people come to have fun. They're right. about entertainment and Miami itself is a brand. And I would imagine that you have to reflect the virtues of the Miami brand when you're building the Dolphins brand, meaning it's not Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, and so, so you no, have, I grew up in Nashville, yeah. right? It's not yeah, Nashville. It's exactly. Different. It's totally so you different. have to inject that into the experience, I would imagine. That's 100. Not only do we have to, we, we believe that's the expectation, right? Yeah. And so when you're from out of town and you come to an event at Hard Rock Stadium, what we want to do is deliver what we believe is an authentic Miami experience. Yeah. Whether that be from the food that's offered or the music, how it sounds, the, the look lighting, and feel, the lighting, yeah. the colors, right? Yeah. Like all of those things are considered. So what we hope is it's an overall integrated approach, meaning that our color palette from what we're wearing in our uniform forms should also give you that that vibrant feel of the colors that pop and the things that are happening around the city, the vibrancy, the excitement, yeah. the music, the drums, like all those things. The should, culture, the flavor. That's exactly oh, right. Uh, yeah. it, it should, you should feel that in an authentic way when you're at a sporting event or when you're at in an entertainment event with Ed Hard Rock Stadium. Yeah. yeah. We'll be right back with the Speed of Culture after a few words from our sponsors. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. 
But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You mentioned the younger fans and the fans of today are consuming sports differently than I did. I'm a Gen Xer growing mm-hmm. up where I would I would just hope that my team was on television, right? <laughs> right and I right. would look at the the box score the next day in the newspaper, yep. where now you have FanDuel and fantasy sports and gambling, and you have TikTok where people are following players and not teams, and they're yep. all about the highlights. How does that affect your content strategy and what you put out there to make sure that, because you guys have a lot of exciting players. You have yeah. Tua, you have Tyreek Hill, who's probably Jaylen the most- Waddle. Yeah, yeah we so got lots Jaylen, of players. Yeah, incredible players that I think it's, in some instances transcend the team, especially yeah. with young kids that wear their jersey, even if they don't like the Dolphins. Sure. I imagine you need to lean into the songs and not just the album, so to speak, That's when you're great. promoting- You're absolutely right, yeah, right. So growing up, obviously, like many people, like. I loved Michael Jordan. So guess yeah. what? I was a fan of the Chicago Bulls, right? right? Because I love Michael Jordan, right? And so I think in your point, I think what we don't need to do, we're not shying away from those that that love Tua, that love Tyreek, or that love you know Nick Chubb, or who, whoever your favorite player is, right? So we think that's a great entry point into getting to know more about the organization of the franchise and getting to know if you want to know about the player. So the way that we look at it from a brand and a marketing perspective is what information, what details, what can we share with you that goes outside the lines of football. And so yeah. a lot of the times the platforms, when you think about, especially Instagram and TikTok, it's an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the individual outside of what they do on Sundays, right? And so we see an opportunity with the fan base. They care about more. They care about what sneakers they're wearing, right? Yeah. They care They care about what shows the they watch. The lifestyle, the We care about the lifestyle, yeah. right? And so what we want to do, Access. we want to make sure that we're providing, yes, we want to have all the game coverage you want, Right. But more than anything, we want to give you a reason to care about them and care about what they do, care about what they do in the community, care about what they wear. And so we believe that kind of all integrated approach builds a fan at a very early age of like, hey, I'm a fan of Tua. So guess what? I'm rooting for his team now. And so then we see the opportunity to make them a fan, make their family a fan. And then we have something really special. Yeah. You've probably seen the Google campaign because I I mean, Google, you know, they've done a great job with YouTube TV finally taking over Sunday ticket this year. And within that, they're playing the spot where you see the players. I'm sure you've seen it walk to the locker room and then you can snap a photo of it and see what they're wearing and, and Who's, what bag are they it. carrying and right. what glasses are they wearing that's it's i think that's so cool i give a lot of credit to to david stern and adam silver because i think the nba more than anything is about the individuals yeah. you know, i say nfl is about the team it's harder right? too because nfl they're, they're wearing there's so helmets many. And, there, and there's, there's so many so people many, on and the field so, the roster is so yeah, much bigger yeah, right not, and you're not as close where that's NBA, exactly right. you really get to see them that's right but in yeah. the nba what they have done really well is they made kind of the entrance, it's become a runway, right? So when the NBA, when a player is getting off the team bus or they're getting out of their cars, it's literally 
like New York Fashion yeah, Week. Yeah, Russell Westbrook, you that's see exactly what they're wearing. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so the NFL, so we found opportunities because all the athletes, they know each other and they, they want to be competitive in everything. They want to be the best. So this guy's wearing that and that person's wearing that. So there is an opportunity to really continue to tell the story through fashion or what the guys are interested in. They're interested in so many different things. And so that's what we want to do. We don't need to create anything. We just want to tell the story. Yeah, you right? amplify it. We amplify what's already happening. We have some really, really great individuals and some really great stories. And so we'll see how we amplify it and allow our fans to enjoy that content. Yeah, and I mean, in athletes today, they want to build their own personal brand that transcends the team as well so they can get involved in business opportunities. We, one of our investors is Kevin Durant and and the, the coverage climate from boardroom. And that's a perfect example of Kevin building his own personal brand and getting involved in so many things that go outside of the basketball court. Yeah, and I imagine right. a lot of your players want to do the same thing. I really am a big proponent of it because I believe when players are aware of their brand and when they're aware of a life after they're on the field or on the court, I think it actually makes them a better teammate. I think it actually, because they're thinking about more than just the day-to-day. -day. I yeah. think they're thinking about long-term. And I think- As they should. As they should, Just right? like you and I are. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so I'm a big proponent of allowing the athletes to have their own brand and to have their own camera crews within reason of obviously where they can be. Of course. But allowing them to have that own personality and persona, because I think ultimately what happens is they become better educated about what the process is. They become better aware of what they'd like to do post- their career. And I think it just makes them a better all around individual. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. One property you work on, which I'm not as familiar on as a fan, but I'm very much familiar on Impact and Culture's F1. Oh yeah. What is this F1 thing? Why is it taken off so much here in the United States? And what's some of the work that you're doing with the Miami Grand Prix that's unique and that you're excited about? Formula One has become a phenomenon. I would say it's big everywhere else in the world, much like soccer was right. many years ago, right? Every, the rest of the world is like, we've been on F1 for a long yeah. time, right? But what I would say, there's a few reasons why. One of the things that I know has played an impact, I, I won't say it's fully, but certainly Drive to Five on Netflix. During the pandemic, right. there were a lot of people who were introduced to F1 through this documentary. Just like they were series. with chess with King, uh, that's Queen's Gambit. That's exactly right, yeah. right? So everybody's in the house. You got to find some stuff to stream. And so Drive to Survive numbers were incredible. And I think, especially in the U.S., what it did was help people understand personalities and teams. And so much like your favorite basketball player, your favorite NFL player, once you're a fan you're of their personality. What you're trying to do with the Dolphins. That's right. Yeah. So what I believe from a organization perspective, I think F1 sees tremendous opportunity in the U.S. I think similar to the way that Commissioner Goodell sees tremendous opportunity internationally because NFL is, is already, yeah. you know, matured more, here more in the U.S. More games are happening in Europe but as year. you look, you know, internationally, there's more games. Well, I think it's the reverse effect for Formula One. So Formula One's looking to continue to grow in the U.S. because they see an incredible financial opportunity, incredible fan base opportunity. And so Miami is one of the three U.S. races. So Las Vegas will have their first race yeah. this year. And Austin's been around for quite some time. And so in Miami, the way that we look at it is that we are, I think you said it really well before, Matt, when you come to Miami, you want to feel like you're in Miami. Yeah, no matter wanna, what you're doing. No matter yeah. what you're doing. And so what I would tell you is that the goal of our race is to create an experience unlike anything else you've done. Not like unlike any other Formula One race, unlike any other event that you've gone to. And I think through the first two years, we've had some very, very good fortune and some success. A lot of celebrities and notables and just racing fans have been able to come and enjoy. And what I believe our goal is, is to create 
individual unique experiences. So if you're a hardcore race fan, then you can come and watch the racing and then you'll feel you'll feel thrilled to do that. But also if you're a first-time fan and maybe you just watched Drive to Survive, there should be an incredible experience for you. Just you don't have to be a racing enthusiast. Yeah. You should be able to come and the have a great experience should be accessible to that's the exactly casual right. fan. And right. so we believe between the entertainment seeker, the music lover, the art lover, the hardcore racer, we think we have several personas that can come and we can have an incredible experience for those individual personas so that we want to build something that we would call legacy, meaning when you think about the Kentucky Derby or you think about the Masters or you think about some of these events where people plan traditions, right? Yeah. We don't want this to be a one-time thing where you come one time and then you're, you say, I've done that. What we're trying to build is tradition where families and friends come together every year, the first weekend in May, and then they're like, we're going to Miami Grand Prix because that's where, you know, that's where the action is. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing in the U.S. economy, at least, is just the boom of the experience economy is back. It, it was strong, and then there was such pent-up demand during COVID, and now you saw it in Europe this summer, and in Italy, and places where you couldn't go to a restaurant, restaurant even walk on the sidewalks in Venice. Like it's obviously happening. I'm people, sure you're seeing people that are here. excited to come back together. Yeah, right. I think there was certainly, you know, when you think about 2020, 2021, people were just excited. I think we all, and I certainly put myself at the top of the list. We take for granted some of the the freedoms and options yeah. that we have, and I think we all kind of looked and said, oh, you know, if we had to spend the rest of our life in our house or in our apartment. Oh, yeah. Like, what kind of life would that be? And so I think we realize the importance of personal connection, right? Even doing this interview in person, like I do a lot of these podcasts over a Zoom, Zoom and sure. it's just different. Like our conversation would be different. The vibe would be different. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. No, no question. And so I, I do think, you know, for... I believe that our primary goal, when we take take away whether it's football or racing or tennis, our goal is bringing people together and yeah. create moments, right? Like it's like what Disney would say, right? Like make memories. Like our goal is what I'd love to hear outside of the fact that we beat your Eagles. But what I would love to hear is you're like, hey, me and my friend, me and my son, me and my wife, whatever it is, we came, we went to an event. And that's we, what people and remember. We, and we never will forget that's the time they we remember. came. That's exactly right. It, that's right? what it's about. Yeah. And so that's what it's about. And so when we think about what our aim and what our mission is we're trying to create those lifelong moments so that we will always know that you, when you came to Hard Rock Stadium for whatever the event was, it was something that you'll never forget. Yes, I love it. So switching gears as we wrap up here, Michael, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation and you strike me as somebody who like you're entering your prime of your career and it's clicking, you know, I hope like, so, man. Like, it feels I feel like, good. It feels feel like good. you feel good. Yeah, you look great. Good. You got, Thank you. you know, you have all kind of pieces and pillars that you put in place to get you here are certain, they certainly shine through. Can I hire, from you, as my, perspective. Can I hire you as my agent? I don't know if you can afford me, but, uh, <laughs> but what are some of the things that you think you've done right to date as an executive and how does that impact, I guess, your leadership style? Because I imagine you also have people that report to you now in your current role For sure. um, as you grow as yes. a leader in your career. Yeah, I believe first and foremost, there's some important DNA of that great leaders have. And yeah. I think it's a shared DNA. And I believe this with every fiber in my body. There are some things that I like to use sports analogies because people understand it. But if you think about when I was growing up, the Celtics were really good. And when they got Kevin Garnett and mm -hmm. they had Ray Allen, that was a big three. Paul Pierce. Yeah. Paul Pierce, right? But Kevin Garnett was an emotional leader. There were things that Kevin Garnett brought to that team that didn't really show up in the box score. Oh, yeah. Right? So I believe there's some DNA in great leaders that can create great performance that doesn't necessarily show up in IQ. It doesn't necessarily Char even show up charisma in Charisma is a part of it. That's exactly yeah. right. Those things to me that impact my leadership style, like, so courage, 
right? Like, how do you show courage? Courage to me is like the ability to go in and be able to ask tough questions, to be able to ask a question when nobody else is willing to ask, even if that means it's your CEO or a superior, right? Yeah. And so my leadership style is to give people the space and platform where they can have courage. And I want to demonstrate that to them. And then there's a type of infectious energy, right? You see it. Every great leader, there's an infectious energy that not only makes you feel better, but also it's actually going to propel me too, right? Because 100%. the energy, like, 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 you know, right? And so I believe this type of energy- Passion is part of it. That's exactly yeah. right. And so the type of courage and the type of infectious energy, and then the last, one of the other components to me that impact my leadership style is, well, how do you have tough conversations, right? Because the ability, that's a different piece of courage, but it's a tough conversation, meaning if there's something that you need to talk about, and I've learned this in my marriage, but- the better, the sooner you can talk about it, 100%. the better off. Yeah. And guess what? That's where we build trust, right? Because if I'm willing to tell you, hey, Matt, there was something I was depending on and you let me down, but here's how we can improve it, then I think you're going to respect me. And I think it's going to be And you're doing them a disservice if you don't tell them, whether yeah. it's your spouse or your employee, or frankly, somebody who you work for. Yeah. You can't expect them to read your mind. I agree. And, and if you tell them and you can right size, and if you can't, well, then you deal with it then, but you have to we gotta always deal be with. sharing it. Yeah. We those deal those with hard that. conversations are really. I imagine the coach of the Miami Dolphins faces the same thing as well, right? And But that's how you get better. That's how we get better. Yeah. And, and if we can have that type of, and what my goal is, is to have that type of self-awareness to where if you're telling me something's going to make me better, I'm not going to immediately get defensive because I actually want to see it as an opportunity to get better, yeah. right? And so you actually care about me because you're telling me. Because yeah. if you didn't care, you wouldn't say a word. 100%. And so I think in terms of leadership, how can I convey those things in such a way that it energizes and creates incredible performance For across sure. my team? So where do you see yourself in five to 10 years? Mm. You, you had mentioned wanting to be a CEO or I could see you being a GM. Like what, yeah. where do you want to go eventually? There's, I think, a leader of an organization, I guess in certain instances, a lead part of an organization right. now, but I say I would say to have primary responsibility as a CEO, yeah. I think is something that I certainly would be open to yeah. and strive for. It's interesting because you talked about chasing money. And it's one of the lessons that I learned some years ago is that I'm really focused on doing my job incredibly. And what I found is when I focused on that and shut the other things off, the knocks on the door and the opportunities just come. Exactly. And I, and I don't, you know, worried about anything else. And so- well, I, Patience. You have to have that patience. Yeah. yeah. And there's patience, Matt. And there's also some discernment and wisdom because the thing is, sometimes the opportunity is there, but to know if that's the opportunity or this is the opportunity, well, it's not, I've got to define kind of what's important to me. And so what's important to me, compensation is great, but culture is more important, yeah. right? The person and the, the ownership of the organization is more important. So I've been able to define those things. And so so I would say, as I've gotten more clear on who I am, the opportunities that line up, line up for me. Right. And so in five years, who knows what that looks like? Sure. Hopefully a few kids happy with my wife right and, <laughs> and an opportunity to continue thriving with a great organization. I love it. Well, I have no doubt you're going to continue to Thank you. achieve great heights. Lastly here, Michael, is there a quote or mantra that you like to live by? There's a quote, I don't want to get it wrong. Well, uh, it could be yours, so there could never be a wrong <laughs> quote. Even if you butcher it, it's cool. Nelson Mandela has a quote that I love that I believe it goes something like, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is having the fear and pushing through despite the fear. Yeah. Right? And so that's why courage is one of those pillars because... I was talking to some and students, so true. right? I was talking to some students Monday after I, I spoke on the platform and I wanted them to know it's like every time I get up and speak, I get nervous. But I want you all to know that 
You got to push through it. So the courage is, so it will never, you'll never not be scared. You'll never not be nervous, but the courage is actually in actually pushing through that. It's on the other side of it. It's on the other side of it, man. It's so good. I love it. Well, it's been an amazing chat. I cannot wait for our audience to hear it. I cannot wait to see your continued uh, ascent. Yeah, it's been incredible. So, and best of luck to your Dolphins this season. Thanks so much. Until, of course, they make the Eagles. Until we play the Eagles, right? (laughs) Awesome. On behalf of Susie and the Adwee team, thanks again to Michael Shaw, VP of Brand Marketing at the Miami Dolphins, Hard Rock Stadium, and a bunch of other stuff for joining us today. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Speed of Culture podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We're here in Miami, Miami. And until next time, see you soon, everyone. Take care. The Speed of Culture is brought to you by Suzy as part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Guest Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. To find out more about Suzy, head to suzy.com. And make sure to search for The Speed of Culture in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Suzy, thanks for listening.